Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. This week, we're joined by the Forum's Senior Director of Policy and Research, Dr. Lauren Fox, along with two superintendents to discuss the recent expansion of North Carolina's private school voucher program. Commonly referred to as Opportunity Scholarships, school vouchers allowed families to use public dollars to subsidize their children's education at private schools. This program used to be specifically for low-income families, but recent legislation has changed that. Today, we'll discuss those changes and what exactly they mean for North Carolina's students and families. I'm so pleased today to be joined by Dr. Lauren Fox, the Senior Director of Policy and Research from the Public School Forum of North Carolina. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks for having me. I'd love to start with you just giving us a brief overview of how North Carolina's Opportunity Scholarships Program works in its current form and how much has it been used in recent years? Yeah, so the Opportunity Scholarship Program was created in 2013, um, and it was framed originally as a way for families who fall below a certain income threshold to access private schools if their public schools were not serving them for some reason or another. Um, so when the program was first created, only families who uh, met requirements for the federal free and reduced price lunch eligibility um, were able to access the scholarships and the um, threshold has been increased over the years. So uh, the current program this year in 2023, families who make um, up to 200% of that free and reduced price lunch um, eligibility are able to access uh, vouchers through the Opportunity Scholarship Program. And I'll also mention that um, the program as of right now requires that a child has attended public school before they can access the voucher as well. Thank you. And I know changes are underway with the latest budget passage, which included several different provisions around the Opportunity Scholarship Program in North Carolina. Can you tell us a little bit about what changes will be brought on by that new budget? Absolutely. So, um, so the latest budget really puts into effect what is called um, universal vouchers. And what that specifically means is that there is a there was a removal of the income cap um, in terms of who is able to access vouchers. There will still, in North Carolina, um, priority will still be given to families falling below a certain income threshold and those who have had access or ha who have used the Opportunity Scholarship um, in the past. However, anyone, regardless of their family wealth, um, will be able to access vouchers now. And they've also removed the requirement um, for families to have uh, had their child in public school previously. So families who are already sending their children to private school, already paying that tuition, will now have access. And Lauren, it does not matter how much they make. Their income could be $500,000 right. a year, and it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Yes. So one of the things I think we always like to go back to is what does the research say? And so as I know you're a researcher and what does the research say about how vouchers um, affect educational opportunities for students? So in North Carolina, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of research on actual academic outcomes of students who are using the vouchers, particularly as compared to um, across schools, across private schools and with public school students. And that's because voucher recipients and voucher schools that use the voucher program are not required to 
issue the same standardized test across all of the private schools. Um, and there's not a common test between public school students and private school students. So we don't actually have the ability in North Carolina to make valid comparisons in academic outcomes across um, private and public school students. But we do have research um, generally on other private or other voucher programs in other states. And we've actually found that recent evidence shows that school vouchers have, um, have contributed negatively to students' academic outcomes. So there have been some significant studies in states like Indiana, Louisiana, Ohio, um, as well as Washington, DC, that showed that low-income students who used vouchers did not see improvements and actually declined some as significantly as the declines that we saw as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's definitely something that we need to be aware of and have more data on so that we're monitoring you know, whether this program is actually helping students um, to reach improved outcomes. And Lauren, you referenced that it's hard to compare and you referenced the lack of common test scores. But with this new law, what accountability will we have? Because these are public dollars going to private schools, but also to parochial schools and religious schools, which I think is important to note as well. Right. So under the, um, the language in the budget would require that students in grades 3, 8, and 11 have a common test that they take um, that would theoretically allow for comparisons across the different schools as well as with public school students. Um, but it's important to note that only schools that enroll more than 25 voucher recipients in a single grade, which is a significant number of voucher students, right, um, would have to publicly report those test scores. So I think there are questions that we have as researchers and, you know, the public who would want to be able to independently evaluate the success of the program in terms of what, you know, what access to data will we have, um, where, how will that information get to policymakers who are trying to make decisions and to families who are trying to decide whether they want to send their child to a certain school and to the public who want to know, you know, where their tax dollars are going. Um, so right now, uh, based on current enrollment figures, only 3% of private schools that accept vouchers would have to actually report that data publicly. And Lauren, how does that compare to other states? Because we are not the first state to move towards this voucher program. And it's on the verge of, I would say, a universal voucher program. That's right. Um, so North Carolina actually um, has some of the loosest regulations um, and accountability requirements of any state that has a voucher program. Um, the forum actually conducted an analysis of this um, in a recent policy brief that's available on our website where we did some comparisons to other states that are have or are soon to implement a universal voucher program and most have other requirements for accountability as well as things like teachers having to have certain credentials in order to be able to teach or accreditation requirements for private schools or financial reporting and accountability. So North Carolina has very, very minimal requirements on all of those things compared to other states. So Lauren, I know we can't fully know how this will impact um, people and students across our state, but I'm curious what you think this expansion will mean for public school students, but also their communities. So I think top of mind for many people is what will this mean for public school budgets? Um, and I wanna note that this is not an insignificant amount of money that will be going to 
private schools um, that do not have, you know, reporting, very many reporting and accountability requirements. It's more than $4 billion, four point, more than $4.4 billion, I believe, over the next 10 years. So that's a significant amount of money. Um, and, you know, while that money is not necessarily coming straight from a public school into a private school, it's still money that's coming from the general fund of North Carolina's budget that will be going um, somewhere else besides our public schools, while we know that our public schools are quite underfunded in this state. Um, and there's also been analysis done on what the potential loss of students leaving public schools and going to private schools could mean for our local districts. Um, the Office of State Budget and Management did some analysis that showed that if only half of the new recipients of vouchers under the current um, expansion plan were previously enrolled in a public school, our districts across the state would lose out on an additional $200 million just in the 2026-27 school year. And there are particular districts that would see um, you know, more significant changes in their funding overall. And that's especially in rural smaller districts where the loss of you know, just a few students can mean significant changes in the money that they're receiving. The last question, Lauren, as we wrap up today is, I know the expansion has been approved in North Carolina. Are there things that our state can do to improve the opportunity scholarships given the dramatic shift in how much will be invested over the next decade? I definitely think there are things that we can and really should do. Um, you know, we talked about accountability and transparency requirements. I think we need to think really carefully about um, what academic outcome data we need to have access to and not just, um, you know, behind kind of closed doors, but the public and parents um, and taxpayers, what information do we need to make sure is accessible to them? And we think the forum thinks that we need to have um, a common exam across all, all uh, grades that is publicly reported um, so that we can really see how the different schools are performing and serving students. The bottom line is that we need to make sure that every school that is receiving taxpayer dollars is serving its students well. Um, and right now we really can't say that about schools receiving opportunity scholarships. I think another thing, as I had mentioned briefly, that we need to really be concerned about is making sure that there's finan financial transparency and accountability for these schools as well. Right now, um, there are requirements for some schools to have a financial review, but there's not an annual audit. There's nothing like that so that we can really look at how the money is being spent and make sure that it's being spent um, with fidelity. And I would say as well, one of the biggest concerns that we have about opportunity scholarships is that just having this program in existence doesn't mean that every child is going to be able to access it. So if we're talking about you know, wanting this program to really expand opportunity, then we need to be true to that. Um, and right now, private schools are able to deny admission to students based on a number of factors, including religion or family values or sexual orientation or gender identity. And I think when we have, um, you know, tax dollars going to schools that can actually discriminate um, in their admissions processes, we really need to be asking ourselves, is that a good use of our tax dollars um, when we have a public school system that serves each and every child that comes through its doors? Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being with us today. We'll definitely share out that policy brief, which includes some of the information you shared with us today. 
And after the break, we are very pleased to be joined by two North Carolina superintendents, Dr. Marvin Connolly Jr. from Cumberland County Schools and Dr. Rhonda Schuler from Franklin County Schools. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Participate Learning, uniting our world through global learning. We are so pleased today to be joined by Dr. Rhonda Schuler, the superintendent of Franklin County Schools, and Dr. Marvin Connolly Jr., the superintendent of Cumberland County Schools. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. The Opportunity Scholarships Program is set to expand in the coming years. And I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about how that affects your county um, and how you anticipated affecting your students and families in the years to come. So in Cumberland County, uh, we are a tier one county, high poverty, high minority county. Um, and over time, Cumberland County has had the highest number of students and parents opting to apply for and receive the opportunity scholarship. We're not really sure what that's about. It might just mean that as we are higher poverty, more people are applying for that scholarship. Plus, we are a, uh, a military town of 15,000 of our 50,000 students are military connected. So, military families sometimes are too private. And so, we need to apply for the opportunity scholarship you know, provide funding for them to be able to do that. So, we've uh, been dealing with it for a while. You know, there are a lot of unknowns around this still. This is very new. It's a significant expansion. And being able to pinpoint exactly what that impact is going to be, I think, is a little bit premature for us. I did take a look at the information uh, from the non-public education office, and it appears that in 2021-22, we had about 259 students, Franklin County residents attending private schools. So we had that figure, but that is very much an estimate, um, even by their accounts. So making a determination as what to what the impact of this is going to be, I'm, I'm confident that those families will likely take advantage of this this opportunity uh, for additional funding uh, in support of their families. It's difficult to know what the larger impact will be on students who may currently be attending our schools, private schools, charter schools, and homeschools. And, and then in turn, what the impact financially will be on public, traditional public schools. It will contribute to uh, resegregation of our school system. Um, somewhat the haves and have nots, um, white flight. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of charter schools here in Cumberland that we compete with, but we do have a lot of private and parochial schools. Um, and now under the new law, um, families can use the um, opportunity scholarship at the parochial schools as well. Um, and so I think what we will see is more black and brown children, um, men in the traditional public schools, uh, and then more, um, non-black and brown and maybe even higher income students opting for the opportunity scholarship. Because as you know, now 
regardless of income, they can apply and receive this scholarship. So I, I think it's gonna be um more uh, grounding um coming in uh and resetting the nation on our system. Sometimes we forget to talk about is the fact that our public schools offer a lot of choice. And I wonder if you have some examples in Cumberland County of how what that choice looks like for students and families. Yeah, so we do have the choice model here in some of the town. We have what we call choice schools that might be um academy of engineering, um, might be a, a fire academy, might be STEM academy. Um, and so head head up for those and in fact, a lot of military families opt for the choice program. So we offer choice here in Cumberland. I think now uh, we have to do a better job of marketing our choice and demonstrating that we are the best choice. Dr. Schuller, I know that one of the things that we know about our public schools is that there are many choices available for students and families within our traditional public schools. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what choices you offer in Franklin County. Sure, I'd be glad to. We have, first of all, we have an outstanding early college program. I've had the opportunity to visit this week um, that has been very successful and has been in place for over 13 years now with great success in preparing students for a next step providing them with that associate's degree free of charge uh, before graduate, when they graduate um, from high school. So that is an opportunity that we're very proud of and want to continue to build on. In addition to that, we have a STEM Academy that was introduced at Lewisburg High School five years ago to provide students with really intensive exposure to STEM fields, as well as opportunities for service learning. And it really is a project-based approach across all curricular areas. So that has been very successful and well-received. So this year, we've actually expanded that program into Lewisburg Magnet High School, which is open to all students in the district. So we're really excited about that opportunity. At the elementary level, we are exploring a dual language program at one of our elementary schools for the upcoming year. And just to circle back to high schools, I would like to say that at every one of our high schools, we offer a really robust offering of CTE coursework that will provide students with exposure to potential careers and opportunities, uh, credentialing, um, and certifications that they can take with them and enter the workforce. Uh, or apply that to additional opportunities beyond high school. We have career and college promise opportunities for students to receive college coursework free of charge that gives them transferable credits upon graduation, advanced placement. So we have a lot of options and choices for families in our district. What advice do you have for our policymakers as they go forward? My advice or thoughts to the legislature are if we are going to expend taxpayer dollars in private school vouchers, as well as charter school opportunities that students have had access to, I think they should be held to the same level of accountability in areas like testing and, and assessment of students teacher 
licensure qualifications and expectations and financial accountability and transparency, the same level that we have because we're talking about uh, taxpayers' dollars and making sure that they're being used effectively. And we're talking about a significant amount of money. So that would be some of the guidance. I'd also say, you know, public schools were built on a foundation uh, in our constitution, the state's constitution, of ensuring that we're, we provide a sound, basic public education to every student. And we work in our schools, and I know this is true across the state in our public schools, to meet every student that walks through our door, regardless of their background and circumstance and abilities, and take them from where they are and provide them with a comprehensive learning experience that will prepare them for that college or career. And I think that if if uh, the if private schools are receiving that funding and charter schools as well are receiving that funding, they should be also greeting every student who's interested in attending there um, and, and welcoming them and making sure that they all have an opportunity to attend. And that they're also working to eliminate not just, we're not just talking about the financial aspect with vouchers, but also eliminating barriers that would prevent those students from attending those opportunities like transportation and free and reduced lunch. So I guess the bottom line is I would say to lawmakers, if we're going to put taxpayers' dollars towards an initiative, we need to make sure that the, the level of accountability and transparency is there just as we're held to in, in our traditional public schools. I'd like to give you a moment before we close just to tell us what are you most proud of about Cumberland County Schools? And I have to say, I've met some of your amazing educators. Um, so I know you have a lot to be proud of, but what are you most proud of? I am very proud that um, uh, even though we are a large district, we continue to uh, have that community hometown feel. Um, everyone is connected. Our premier professionals have about 6,500 employees. They are working hard every day. Uh, they're invested in the community. Uh, in our contingent plan, we have four pillars, successful students, premier professionals, accepted environment, and committed community. Here in Cumberland, we have a very committed community to help us work together. We believe firmly here in Cumberland uh, and the entire community in the old African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. And we're all working together, and we also um, subscribe to an African saying, um, which says, Custodian Andre. And I was looking to my right, because that's on my wall. Custodian Andre, which means, how are the children? And so everyone here in our community focuses on how other children and working as a community, and we are a large, but yet still a village. We are proud of a lot. So, um, but I will say in the context of what we're talking about, one of the things we're working really hard to do is make sure that our families and our community know what we have to offer. Um, we 
introduced a parent summit last spring where we brought teams of parents from across the district together to learn more about what our schools offer, as well as to give feedback and plan and network. And we have really seen that pay off this school year in broadening our base of family support and engagement. That's something we had our second parent summit a couple of weeks ago. It was a real success. So we want to continue to build on those opportunities to engage our families in meaningful ways in the work. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.